Well, hey guys, tonight we have a, uh, a special treat with us. Um, he's probably not a new face to any of you, uh, and uh, he probably goes without uh, introduction. Uh, but we have uh, our wonderful lead pastor, Pastor Dave. Uh, so if you guys can join me uh, in just giving honor where honors do, uh, let's just stand to our feet uh, and give our awesome pastor and leader uh, just a great hand clap. Amen? Amen. 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 Okay, I will. I will ask Ryan. Ryan, would you mind like untangling that and bring it over? Matt, are you recording on this thing right here? Yeah. Nice. Right. Otherwise, I would have moved that one. Thanks, bro. Everybody doing good? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That seemed kind of puny. All right. Well, are you guys ready to study the word? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good, good, good. Let's see. Matthew, I'm going to give you these. That's got that little thing at the top there. Put these bad boys over. And while I'm moving all this stuff, why don't you guys turn your Bible to Ezra chapter 1. Ezra 1. Don't let me forget I have two announcements at the end, too. Please don't let me forget. How much time do I have? Because I'll use it all. 55 minutes. And then some. <laughs> 45 minutes. Okay. You keep me on track. All right, Matt. Ezra in the Old Testament. Uh, I'm going to give you a little history lesson. How many of you like history? You like a little bit of history, maybe? All right. Uh, so let me ask the question. How many of you know what it's like to uh, disobey your parents or uh, do something wrong at work? Uh, maybe you knew it was wrong, but you did it anyway, and you know what it's like to get in trouble for it. You ever been there before? Uh, this, this Israel's history. Israel uh, understands what it's supposed to be, understands from God what his law is, and then they have a tendency to violate uh, that law, and then they have consequences that uh, go with it. So uh, Ezra is, is a story in the Old Testament. It's a narrative story. It really continues. If we went from First Chronicles to Second Chronicles, the next narrative in the history of Israel would be Ezra. So it would be like Third Chronicles, if you will. Uh, but Ezra is uh, Ezra is the name of a priest, and he is in a in the lineage of uh, Aaron the priest. What is this? Oh, and that, what a cute looking guy up there. Uh, anyway, um, so here's what's transpired uh, in Israel's history. David became the second king of Israel. And he was a good king. And when it was time for David's successor to come, Solomon was the next king. And it was under Solomon's reign that a temple was built known as Solomon's Temple. Uh, and the children of Israel seemed to be doing okay, but Solomon had his eyes in the wrong place, so to speak, and his heart also 
was in the wrong place. And so ultimately, uh, he did some things that were wrong in the sight of the Lord. Well, it was the next generation that even did worse. And so, under his son Rehoboam's reign, Rehoboam decided there was going to be some taxes excised on the people. And the people said, we're not going to pay the taxes. And so the kingdom of Israel was split into two kingdoms. Okay? So how many of you have heard of the northern kingdom? You ever heard of the northern kingdom? Ten of the twelve tribes of Israel were in the northern kingdom. In the southern kingdom, known as Judah, so the northern kingdom is known as Israel, and the southern kingdom is known as Judah. There were two tribes in Judah, Judah and Benjamin. So the rest of the sons were, or the rest of the tribes, if you will, were in the north. The guys in the north, those cats, they, they were not very good. Their kings were really pretty bad kings. In fact, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. I mean, it was some pretty bad stuff. Uh, and the prophet Isaiah prophesied that somewhere around 722 B.C., that it was going to be, well, prior to that, it was going to be X amount of years, and it was 65 years, I believe it was, that at 722, they were completely obliterated. The Assyrians came in and wiped out the northern tribes, and so they ceased to exist. The southern tribe had the prophet Jeremiah, years later, prophesying, and Jeremiah was telling them, guys, you've got to get your act together, too, because you're disobeying the Lord. And they were disobeying the Lord in that they were not giving the land its Sabbath day's rest. How many of you are totally excited right now so far with this message? You're like, wow, man, I'm just absolutely dazzled. Well, they didn't, they didn't give the land its rest for 490 years. That's a long time. That's a lot of generations. That's like five generations. Of, you know, it's a generation of 100 years. And so for 490 years... The seventh year was supposed to be a year of rest, but they didn't do it, so it equated to, really, 70 years that the land had not had its proper Sabbath rest. So it should have had 70 Sabbaths, but they didn't get those, and so for this 490 years, God says, I'm going to get my Sabbath. And Jeremiah prophesied, you know what? You're going into exile, folks. You, you were once in exile in Egypt, for 400 years, 430 years, now you're going to go into exile a second time, and this time it's going to be 70 years, and uh, God's going to get a Sabbath day's rest. So, ushering in the Babylonian kingdom, King Nebuchadnezzar came in and took the, the, the city of Jerusalem and the nation Israel into captivity. And in three waves of people, they pulled the Israelites out and moved them to Babylon, which is about 800 miles, or 800, yeah, about 800 miles away. Um, so now they're in exile. You heard of guys like Daniel? Daniel was in exile. When he was exiled, he was a teenager. So he was, I don't know how old the youngest person here is, but he was probably 17, 18 years old. And he was pulled into exile. He was in the royal lineage, so he was pulled into the Babylonian kingdom, and he went through the school of the Chaldeans, and he became actually in a ruling role within the Babylonian kingdom. It's kind of a cool deal. Uh, Ezekiel 
was also taken in exile. He was a little bit older, and he was with the children of Israel that were imprisoned, if you will, or enslaved. And so he was prophesying to the enslaved. Daniel was prophesying inside the royal house, if you will. And Jeremiah didn't go into exile, so he was back in Judah prophesying to those people who didn't go into exile. That gives you an idea of who some of those prophets and when they were. And this is all about five, probably five, 605 B.C. Let's call it 605 B.C. Okay. So 605 B.C., 70 years from 605 B.C. would bring us to about 535 B.C. About 535 B.C. So here's where we are. This is what we're picking up. Ezra picks up at about 535 B.C. And it's the changing of another historical mm, regime, a historical empire. Okay, the empire went from the Babylonian Empire to the Persian Empire, also known as the Medo-Persian Empire, and the ruler was Cyrus the king. And so Cyrus is king, and uh, he's the Persian king, and they come in and they take captive the city of Babylon and overtake all of the known world, if you will. And Cyrus is king. And so it's there that Josephus, a historian of the church tells us that it was Daniel the prophet who handed Cyrus the king Isaiah's scroll, Isaiah the prophet's scroll. And in that scroll, and you can read it on your own, but it's Isaiah chapter 45 that Cyrus the king of Persia's name is written several times by name, 170 years before Cyrus was even born. The God of the universe who knew the future, because he knows the end from the beginning, he prophesied through Isaiah the prophet 170 years before Cyrus was born that there was going to be a man named Cyrus of the Persian kingdom that God was going to use to bring liberty to his children and give him the assignment to release the children of Israel to go back and rebuild the wall and the temple mount and the temple itself in Jerusalem. So it was kind of a big deal. Cyrus sees his name, realizes that he's God's anointed, and so he releases the people. He says, you folks who've been in captivity, I'm sending you back, and you're going to go build. You're going to go build the temple. Okay, so that was his, Cyrus, a pagan king, is given the assignment to send the Israelites to go back and build the temple. How many of you are absolutely amazed right now? In fact, you're so stoked, you're almost leaning forward in your seat like you can't wait. For the next slide. Okay, you're probably not there yet, but you'll get there in a moment. Okay, so here's the deal. So, the first wave of Israelites are sent out. And there's about 50,000 of them that go and release. Now, you have to understand for a moment, about 3 million, between 2 and 3 million were taken in exile. And the first group that went, only 50,000 wanted to go back. That's an interesting reality, right? But they go back with the purpose to do some building. Now then, the first six chapters, that was awesome, the first six <laughs> chapters of Ezra tell the narrative. And really, Ezra's not even a part of that at that point. There's a guy by the name of Zerubbabel and another guy by the name of Jeshua, or also Joshua, which is uh, the... A Grecian formula of that is Jesus. So here's this Jeshua and, uh, and Zerubbabel, and they're given this assignment. Now, they're 
only objective is to go build the temple. They get there, and they start doing the work. The temple mount that they built is the same temple mount if you were to land in Israel and you saw the Dome of the Rock that is built, the, 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 the Muslim mosque. That temple mount is the temple mount that these cats built. That's endured some history, right? So that was about 535 B.C., and we are 2015 A.D., you, you can put that together. It's about 2,500 years that that foundation has been established. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. So, while they're doing the work, they got a little bit tired. Anybody here ever get tired when you're given a job? Anybody here, when you're given a job, ever lose focus? Now, let me ask you a question. Now, how many of you have ever had to clean your closet in your bedroom? Maybe your parents, you're living at home, your parents opened up your closet door and they went, ay, 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 are you kidding me? And they say, you need to clean your closet. And you open up the closet and you start going through things and then you find a photo album or you find your box of Legos or you find this or that. And you get distracted and you start doing your deal and you're playing with your stuff and I forgot about my little G.I. Joe's. Look, it's got a little retractable thing, you know, and you make a little zip line. Oh, I remember that, that was great. Or whatever it is for you, but you just get distracted. These guys were getting distracted. So much so that they got they got to the point where they were like, Yeah, remember I mean I this was our parents' house, yeah. And they went back to their folks' place and now it's their house. And they decided that they were going to spend time fixing their house. And so they started putting wood up on the walls and getting some paneling up, hammering nails, doing their deal. Fourteen years. And they're doing no more labor. And God says, no, 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 what did I send you here? I sent you with a purpose. And you've become distracted. There's a little principle here. There's a principle. God sends us on a mission. Our tendency is to get distracted, so he sends people to remind us of the mission. Okay? So I'm just going to tell you right now, Jesus <coughs> has sent us on a mission. Right? Who can tell me what that mission is? Anybody got an idea what that mission might be? If you were in church on Sunday, you might have picked up on it, right? We're seeking to save the lost. Right? We are about the Great Commission. Okay? How many of you know that the church has become somewhat complacent to the mission and has kind of forgotten the mission? And God's sending people to remind the church, get on task. People are dying and going to hell. We gotta get we gotta get busy. Right? I would tell you, I would say this to every one of you tonight. Every one of you. Every one of you knows someone who doesn't know Jesus. I'm gonna ask you right now. How come you're not dragging them by the ears to get them to church? Where they're going to hear the good news of the gospel. There's empty chairs here tonight. There's a whole staff leaning up against the wall over there. There could be 50 people here next Sunday, or next, what day is it? Tuesday. There could be 50 people here next Tuesday. I'm going to tell you right now. If you don't say something, no one, well, someone uh -huh. might. But the assignment's been given to us. That's right. Does that make sense? Right. Everyone. Invite them. Just invite them. Okay. So that's just a little reminder. Now, here's what happened. If you go to Ezra chapter 5, 
you'll read in the very first verse, Ezra 5, it says, Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Idu, the prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. So they had... They had Daniel prophesying during the <laughs> 70 years of captivity. They had Ezekiel prophesying during those days. They had Jeremiah prophesying during those days. Now the release has come. Daniel's an old man now. He's like 86 or 88 years old. He stays in Babylon. This group goes back. Daniel pr- might have already passed away at this point, and the people become complacent. They're not doing what they're supposed to do. And so God raises up some new prophets, Zechariah and Haggai. Everyone say Haggai. Haggai. Just because that's a cool name. Okay. So what I want you to do is I want you to turn your Bible to the right. So you're going to flip over a few pages, and you're going to find the prophet Haggai. Now, it's, he's kind of tucked in there tight, so you got to look... Uh, let's see. Jonah, Mike, and Nam. Habakkuk, Zephaniah. Haggai. There you go. All right. So page 829 in my Bible. So Haggai, chapter 1. Haggai the prophet. He's going to come and he is going to say something to the Israelites. All right. Now I want you to pick this up. Verse 1 says, in the second year, in the second year, no, in the second year of Darius. Now, here's where I want you to see. This is Darius. Darius is in the Persian lineage of king. So when, when Cyrus was king for a handful of years, then his son Cambyses was king, then Simbus, not Simba, but Simbius was king. Then it went Darius, then Xerxes, then Artaxerxes. Okay, so there was a series of kings, and there's some years that go with that. Well, during Darius's reign of Persia is when Haggai gets the word of the Lord. And it's in the sixth month. Of, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. So God had already released through Cyrus from the prophet Isaiah's word to go and rebuild the house. But the people were saying, The time has not come to build the house. They finished the foundation, but the house was not built. Instead, they went and they built their own houses. And they began to rebuild and do some things. And so God's word was to rebuild the temple, but the people began to say, it's not time. It's not time. Let me ask you a simple question. When God says it's time, and the people say, no, it's not, you think there might be a little bit of a problem. <clears throat> Mom and dad say, hey, it's time to clean your closet. And you go in and you start doing your deal and you stop cleaning. Did mom's word change? Or did you kind of start doing your own deal? Right? You see, that's what the children of Israel are doing. They're doing their own deal. And they're losing sight. So let's go on a little bit further. It says... Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, 
Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple lie in ruins? And so he is saying, is it really time for you to be building your own stuff when the assignment that God has given has been neglected and you should be building the house of God? There's a problem here and it's a priority issue. Haggai is sent to deal with some internal spiritual issues. Internal spiritual issues. In fact, I would say he's dealing with attitudes. Sometimes, as followers of Christ, we can value material things over what God would be telling us is an assignment to do. These guys had their priority in the value of their houses, their donkey carts, maybe their donkeys, maybe their fields. They were all focused on the material and not the spiritual in which God had directed. I want to encourage you tonight also because lest we also fall into that same temptation, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament reminds us in I believe it's 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it might be 2 Corinthians 9, but he reminds us these things happened and they were written down to admonish us to not have that stuff transpire. He gives us the example, he says, you can learn from this mistake what these people did and not follow in the same shoe. Footprints, if you will. So, let me simply say this to everybody. Here's just a little principle. We're not through the sermon yet, but here's a little principle. It's just a little principle. Not to get off track, the material things of this world, they're all going to burn. They're of little value. We're not to worry about this stuff. Like when, when we talk about taking offerings and so forth and so on. Let me tell you, that those things are much more important. Because what's happening in the kingdom of God matters. It matters. And every one of us can play a part in that. That's so cool to see when the dollars that are invested by all the children of God, what we can accomplish. Like we're sending missionaries on the mission field. You and I may not be able to go, so we're helping someone get there. Right? How cool is that? We get to help the downies get to Thailand. And we want to see if we can increase that support so we can get them there faster. I mean, how, that's just absolutely radical in my mind. I mean, here's an unreached people group, and we, your dollar bill, so to speak, is going there. So that's like you are going there in a way, right? The Bible says where your treasure is there your heart is also. You put your dollar there, I guarantee you, you're going to be praying for the downies. You put your $10 there, you're going to have more heart in it. You put $100 there, you're going to have more heart in it. Right? It's like the guy who puts his money in the stock market. What do you think he's checking tomorrow in the newspaper? How his stock is doing. Am I making any money? Well, we're not making money. We're seeing souls come into the kingdom. You see what I'm saying? When we start praying that way, Jesus, bless those guys. Give them words to speak. Some of you will start thinking... Maybe I'm supposed to go to Thailand and help them. Right? Okay. And maybe some of you are. Think about this. 
When the Downies get to Thailand, you think they might need someone to come and support them and help them out for two weeks in the summer, maybe three weeks, maybe four weeks, maybe a month. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay, so God sends Haggai and Zechariah. Zechariah is going to deal with some other issues, but Haggai is dealing with the heart. Does that make sense? Okay. Then we come to chapter six, and there's a decree by Darius the king, and they they get to work on the temple and so forth and so on. Then there's a transition from chapter six to chapter seven. There's like a gap, and no small gap. It's like sixty years. So guess what happens between chapters 6 and 7 chronologically in your Bible? How many of you know of this woman named Esther? Esther. How many of you know the, 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 the biblical book? The book, the story of Esther and the king whose name was Asuerus. Everyone say that together. Asuerus. It's like a military statement. Asuerus. <laughs> David, did you ever hear that in the military? Asuerus. <laughs> okay, anyway, the idea there, his, his, his other name was his, uh, his, I guess that we would call it his Persian name was Xerxes. But, uh, so Xerxes had a queen, and her name was Esther. And so Esther, the story of Esther, actually happens chronologically right in between chapter 6 and 7. And so I would encourage you to read the story of Esther, a fascinating story. When we get to chapter 7, all of a sudden we're introduced to this guy named Ezra. And Ezra is going to come in and he is going to instruct the children of Israel now in righteousness. His assignment in righteousness. And so I want you to join with me in chapter 7, if you will. And so, how am I doing time? I just want to make sure I'm doing... Oh, 8 o'clock. I'm good. Okay, we've got about 25 minutes. Everybody with me? Seatbelts are on. Pretty, you got a couple principles already about living. And some things that will help us in our life if we apply them. A little application of the narrative of the Word of God, if you will. Okay. Chapter 7, verse 1. The arrival of Ezra. Now, after these things in the reign of Artaxerxes. Okay, so this king, Artaxerxes is after Xerxes. So he's the son of Xerxes. His name is Artaxerxes. Xerxes came after Darius. So you see the chronology here? A little bit of time has passed. Each of these kings reigned for a period of time. I can tell you the years, but you don't really care. Okay, uh, you're going to find out about some other guys here that you're going to go like, I, I just want to be able to say his name like Uzi. That's, you know, he's a machine gun, right? Uzi. Okay, uh, anyway. Now after these things in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of... Sariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitub. That's not like a low tub, that's like a high tub. <laughs> okay, son of Ahitub. Uh, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Marioth, the son of Zerahiah, the son of Uzi, the son of Buki. <laughs> uh, these were like father, son, Uzi, and Buki. <laughs> All right, the son of Abishua, and the son of Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra came up from Babylon. 
Now, just as the children of Israel were taken into captivity to Babylon in three waves of people, so the post-exilic, say exilic with me, because it's cool, exilic, so the post-exile people were taken in waves out of exile. The first came with Zerubbabel and Jeshua, about 50,000. The second group comes with Ezra, it's about 1,500. The third group's going to come with a guy by the name of Nehemiah. You all heard about Nehemiah, right? That's great. So Ezra and Nehemiah uh, previously was actually bound together as one single book, and over the process of time it's been uh, multiplied. Other books, uh, like Chronicles, used to be together as well. But. Okay, here we go. Uh, so we have this Ezra came up from Babylon, verse 6, and was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses. You might underline that in your Bible. He was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses. You might put a question mark out there and ask yourself, how did he become skilled in the law of Moses? Hmm. That's That's a worthwhile question. Right? How might you become a skilled individual in the law of Moses? What are some things that you could do? Let's, let's, let's take the rhetorical sense of that question off and let's make it dialogue. What could you do? How many of you, if you wanted to be skilled in biology, what would you do? Say it. Practice. Practice. Someone else did something? Go to school. Absolutely. What else? Study. Hello. That sounds like a pretty good idea. Uh, anything else? Read. Sure. Discussion. Like this. Observation. Absolutely. Observation is both with the eye as well as practice. What I observe, I do. Right? Those are all great ideas. So how might you become skilled in the law of Moses? Same story, right? Study, read, observe, practice, all those that go to school, all those things. Boom, 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 boom. You said practice, right? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, all those things. I would say there's some good advice. Right there. You know, most people don't even spend time reading the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is rich. And I'll tell you, Psalm 40, verse 7, you should have this memorized, the Bible says, the volume of the book is written of me. The volume of the book is written of me. The New Testament is about one-fifth or one-sixth of the entirety of the Bible. So five-sixths of the whole Bible is the Old Testament. And the Word of God, who is the Word? Jesus, John 1.1 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the only begotten of the Father, Jesus. So Jesus says of himself, the volume is of me. So five-sixths of my Bible, just before all the red letters here, maybe it's not quite that ratio, I don't know, maybe it's one you know, one-fifth, four-fifths, but however that works, all of this is about Jesus, and all of this, and I've got a concordance in here too, so, you know, it's like, 
And all of this is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The cool part is we get to find Jesus in the Old Testament. Well, how might we do that? We can become a skilled individual in the law of Moses. I would just encourage you. There's so, so much there. Okay, I find more, I have more fun uh, reading through uh, the, the Old Testament and studying the Old Testament. Uh, it's just absolutely amazing. Okay, I'm uh, diverting here. So here, here we go. He's skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. Who gave the law of Moses? The Lord God. That's huge. I mean, that's something to get amped about. God intersects with humanity and gives him a written word. His standard. That's huge. Okay. Uh, then it goes on to say, The king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. Some of the children of Israel, the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the Nethanin, came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. On the first day of the first month, he began his journey from Babylon, and the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem, according to the good hand of his God upon him. So he's making this journey, and it's an X amount of time, and he commends all of his journeys as being good because, and the Holy Spirit made it certain to say that it was uh, a good, the good hand of his God upon him. Let me, let me just encourage you today. There is a good hand of God. How many of us would like to have that upon us? Yeah. Right? All right. I, I would say, seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. That, and ask, Lord, may your good hand be upon me. May your good hand be upon me. Okay? It grants favor. Verse 10, this is where I want us to focus. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. Ezra prepared his heart to seek the Lord. This word prepare in the Hebrew is uh, it's in the perfect tense as a action that has already transpired. He did not wait for opportunity and then prepare his heart. He was preparing his heart for opportunity the entire time. In fact, it's that word prepare there is very, very specific in the halal that it, it, it is a it's tense. And it's, it, it has to do with his moral compass being pointed toward an end. He prepared himself by the very steps he was taking and the orchestration of his path because his heart was being morally correct and corrected in terms of the direction he was going. He was preparing himself by setting himself apart to be right in the eyes of the Lord. He didn't care what man thought. It wasn't what my friends think. It wasn't what the crowd was doing. It wasn't necessarily 
you know, his, although he had a good set of parents, but it may not have been what his aunts and uncles were involved in and engaged in. It wasn't his family's deal necessarily. He prepared his own heart with a moral compass, and he did it in advance, preparing himself for a future endeavor to be available for God's call upon his life. Are you following me for a moment? Now let me say this to every one of you tonight. Every one of you has a call upon your life. Every one of you. I want you to look this way for just a minute. I think it's cool you're writing things down. But look this way. You've got a call on your life. You've got a call on your life. You've got a call on your life. You have 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 a call on your life. 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 On your life. He's got a call on his life too. Mm-hmm. Now then, you may be here tonight and you don't know what it is. That's good news. Because you are like Ezra right now. You see, yeah. Ezra, good. Good. he was back here in exile, and in in a time where a group had already gone some 60, I mean, think about Ezra. Ezra was a Jew when Haman, during Esther regime, was trying to absolutely obliterate the Jews. He knew nothing of that. He was simply preparing his heart for when God was going to say, now, now. Say to y'all, prepare your hearts now, 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 because you don't know when the call of God is going to come. Availability. He's not looking for your ability, but availability. And we make ourselves available when we prepare our hearts. Make sense? Getting that moral compass right. I will tell you. I was a disqualified guy before I knew Jesus because the moral compass of my heart was absolutely kaboom. When I found Jesus, or more importantly, when Jesus found me, I there was some radical change in my life, but I still had tendencies. And over the next handful of years, I began to prepare my heart. I began to be a student of the Word of God. You know, uh, you know, I quote a lot of scripture. Uh, maybe tonight I didn't, but I, maybe, am I? Am I, quoting, I must be quoting some scripture. But uh, I quote a lot of scripture. The majority of the scripture that I memorized, <coughs> I memorized the first two years that I was a follower of Christ. Me and my buddies, you know, when we talk about having discussion, John, you said, you know, discussion. We, I, I had roommates. Uh, I was away at college, and I was 19, uh, 20, and uh, <laughs> we like memorized 10 verses a week. At the end of the day, it was 520 verses. I mean, we, we, <laughs> we, our apartment was blistered with five, three by five cards. I mean, you couldn't go into the bathroom and have, you know, 30 verses up on the wall. Right? <laughs> 
wait, who's, who's writing who here? And we would get these verses, and then we'd start, we'd have dialogue back and forth. You know, we'd, we'd, say, thing, we'd say things like, uh, seek first the what? And someone would say, the kingdom of God. Why? You know, and then we'd just go back and forth, back and forth. We were memorizing scripture. We'd just open up the Bible and we'd say, hey, did you hear the one about blah, 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 blah? And then someone would say, no, where's that found? You know, oh, Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. We'd go, okay, Ezra 7, 10. Mm, Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do what? Oh, to do it. And to teach the statutes and the ordinance of Israel or in Israel. And then we would just go back and forth until that was absolutely memorized by all four of us. And we just get it, get it, get it. You just get the word of God. And we would focus because we wanted to be ready when God said go. When God said go. When God said go. So he prepared his heart. He prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. Again, he was a skilled scribe in the law of the Lord years before God said now. So he had done that preparation. He equipped his heart and he sought the Lord. That's why the Bible says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Hey, the Lord is near. He's near. Seek the Lord today. Seek the Lord today. Seek the Lord today. Sometimes somebody says, well, what does it mean to seek the Lord? How do I seek the Lord? How many of you would like to know how to seek the Lord? Very just simple. You hear the phrase, seek the Lord, and you say, God's not hiding, right? <laughs> you understand that, right? It's not like, i got to go find him now. God's not hiding. In fact, the Bible tells us that God is going to and fro across the surface of the earth, and he is looking for people who are faithful so that he can show himself strong on their behalf. <laughs> so who's doing the seeking here? God's going to and fro across the surface of the earth looking for faithful people. So he can show himself strong. So seek the Lord. If that heart deals, moral compass, become faithful to the Lord. Guess who? You won't have to look very hard. You won't have to seek very hard because he's seeking for you. That's why the Bible says in James, draw near to the Lord and he does what? He'll draw near to you. Boom. Right? Stand, stand up for a second. As I, as I take a step, you stand. Now, we've we got this gap, this chasm between us, but if I take a step towards you and you take a step towards me, man, it shrinks real fast. Boop, 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 boop. Yeah. All of a sudden, now I'm close to the Lord. couple steps. And we may be taking, you know, remember the game, Mother May I, Mother May I take a itty bitty step? You know, boop, boop. I think God's taking those giant steps. I've got a sneaky suspicion God's stride is a little bit bigger than my stride, so to speak. And so he's drawing near. Okay? So, the law of the Lord. Now, the, the law of the Lord. How, how, how do we... Well, let me come back to the seat for a moment. Let me just make sure. Does that make sense about seeking the Lord? Like God's already looking. And so, so the moment we begin to align ourselves in faithfulness to the Lord, He's showing up. Mm -hmm. He's showing up. And you found Him. And He'll reveal Himself to you. I mean, He begins to reveal through His Word. Okay? 
So the law of the Lord. The beauty for us in the New Testament is the law of the Lord has been narrowed down for us in simplicity. To love God and to love people. It really is that simple. And yet, it's that complex. So we have to look to Jesus. Remember the the, the volume of the book is written of him. So really, this, this is a picture of getting it right with God the Son. Ezra's getting it right with God the Son. And there's a Jesus element in the whole piece here. There's a Jesus element in all of this. We can look at Jesus. Jesus always sought to please the Lord. He did only those things he saw his Father in heaven do. And so... The law of the Lord, loving people, what does that look like? What does it look like to love people? Take the rhetorical aspect off of that answer. You guys feel liberty to answer. What does, what does love look like? How has Jesus loved you? You answer. <laughs> You're like, is there a wrong answer? <laughs> uh, let me ask you a question. Did Jesus forgive you? Was that love? How many of here? How many here are like totally thankful you've been forgiven? <laughs> like, hello, I, my sin's not counted against me. I'm going to heaven. Right, I'm going to heaven. I am so stoked. I'm going to heaven. I mean, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can comprehend what God has in store for those who love Him. Boom. I can't even figure it out. And I got a pretty, my boys know, I, mean, I got a wild mind, man. I got all kinds of crazy ideas what heaven could be like. Can't wait. Forgive me. How have you loved me? You thought about this before? Has, has Jesus been kind to you? Do, do you know the kindness of Jesus? Kindness. It's simple little things that God does, like a rainbow or smelling rain. It's by nature that you can smell. Oh, here's a better one, maybe than you can smell rain. I walked in the house the other day, and my wife was cooking. I'm not kidding you. I came in, and I smelled Brussels sprouts cooking. They were. She was roasting them in the oven. I absolutely love Brussels sprouts. <laughs> I mean, I opened up, I know, right? I opened up the front door and I'm all like, heaven, I'm in heaven. And I mean, I'm beelining around the corner because the thing's already out. And I'm just like, I'm just eating them. They're so stinking good. They're stinking good. And I get a smell on them. Oh, my word. Monday, what's today? Tuesday. It was just yesterday. Hallelujah. I came home last night. Uh, and I got this phone call, and my, this, my buddy says, hey man, fast is off. I'm like, hallelujah, I walked in. And my wife says, are you eating dinner? I said, I am now. <laughs> and here's the deal. Yeah, right? And so here's the deal. She says, I have a London broil in oh. the oven. I opened up the oven, and I saw that it was in a skillet with a lid on it. And I thought, that baby's going to be so tender. And you could just smell it, and there was peas, and there was rice, and so John and I, after we got our first helpings, we came back around, and then the grazing started, right? 
The juice. I'm just telling you, I had to tilt the pan up. I burned my hand because it was so hot for me, but I didn't care. And I got this spoon in there and I spooned up this juice. I don't even know what she did to season. First of all, the, 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 the meat was just like melting my butter. And I got a little bit of rice on that spoon and just, uh, I'm like, no one's going to want to eat anymore because I'm licking this thing. <laughs> it was so good. I have taste buds. Woo. Yes, they were dancing. And God did that. Do you think that's kindness? I think, I think that's kindness. I absolutely love food. I, I mean, to the point of gluttony, so i got to be careful, right? I'm like, I'm going to eat more. And I did. I ate all the meat, man. That was nice. I said, Kim, you better come over here and get some because there ain't going to be any of this. Left. I'm slapping it up. I'm just eating with my hand. Grazing. I'm done eating with my plate. I'm just uh, so I'm just saying, how cool is that? God gives you you see in technicolor. You have my color. I mean, look at your clothes. That's kindness. You actually see right side up and not upside down. I <laughs> know you think that's funny. I'm saying it is kind of funny. But you have a lens inside your eyeball that reverses it. I mean, those of you who know me, most of you know me. And how do you have vision? It's a chemical reaction. I mean, it's just chemical reactions. Everything, everything is chemical reactions. But you only your eyeball is only this big. And so there's only so much chemical inside the ball. How come it doesn't? How come it doesn't run out? I mean, those are, I think it's like the kindness of God because there's there's two chemicals in there. Well, there's two more than that, but there's a couple chemicals in there. And they happen so fast when you have vision of chemical reaction, and then there's another chemical that reverses it and makes those chemicals available again, so you're getting more vision. And it happens so fast that when you yawn at night and your eyes burn, you're actually tired from all those chemical reactions you've got to rest. That's what it is. Chemical reactions happen in a peak of second. Thousands of them in a peak of second. You're like, oh, yeah, peak of second. I know what that is. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so a peak of second, if I boop, pulled one of my remaining hairs out and I laid it down right here, a peak of second is how fast light, it takes light to travel the breadth of one hair. And light's traveling 186,000 miles per second. So it doesn't take light very long to cover one hair. And your eyes, chemical reactions, you have 186,000 chemical reactions every second, but they're getting reversed the moment they happen. It's giving you vision to see beautifully, with you know certain pixel levels and all that kind of stuff. What is it? You think that's the kindness of God? And then He reverses the image for you, so you can see things like up, right side up. I think that's pretty cool. How's my time? I'm going way off. Oh yes. Okay. So. The law of the Lord, fall in love with God. Fall in love with God. He's good. He's rich. He's full of mercy. He's full of grace. He's full of all these things. 
and all this. It's it's so it's the law of the Lord. Fall in love with the law of the Lord. I can't emphasize read, 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 read Psalm one nineteen over and over and over and over again. Psalm one nineteen verse forty five. It's right here. Seek the law of the Lord. Seek the precepts of God. Fall in love with God. Okay. So I only have a few more. more. So he, Ezra prepared his heart. So I got to prepare my heart. Let's seek the law of the Lord. I want to seek the Lord while he may be found. Call him by the Lord is near. And I want to. I want to fall in love while I'm seeking. I want to fall deeper and deeper and deeper in love. So as I'm taking those steps, I'm getting closer. He's getting closer to me. He's He's helped me find Him because He found me. And now I I can draw near and I can get close. And I can when someone asks me, why do you love Jesus? You think about what a fucking thing. Fucking thing. Fucking thing. I mean, imagine life without Jesus. And God says, you do, baby, you do. How crazy can I I walk the streets of Paris, and there are smells in Paris that you never want to smell ever again. I don't know where that came from, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> all right. And it says, and he sought the law of the Lord, and he not only sought to know it, but he sought to obey it, to do it. So it wasn't just for knowledge's sake. It was an expression of his love for the Lord. It was an expression of his gratitude to the Lord. It was the due response that God had shown him grace and mercy. It was the right thing to do. If I did something kind and I said, Sam, here's $20. Here's $20. And someday I might say, Sam, do you have 20 bucks? That I could borrow? <laughs> he might do something reciprocal. Or if somebody comes to me and says, hey, do you have 20 bucks? I could borrow. I say, you can't borrow it. You can just have it, but pass the blessing on. Right? But all that to say, to do it. Um, I don't know where I was going with that. I just wanted to show you I had 20 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it's 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 the Bible. The, the Bible shows us when when Jesus came to Matthew, the tax collector, who was despised by his Jewish brothers. Jesus said, "Come, follow me." A rabbi, a man of respect. A man in a community that was revered said to the one who was rejected by man, hey, come with me today. He left his tax collecting booth. He left, the Bible says he left everything. He might have even left the money there. Because people would want to get back. And he followed Jesus. Guess what happened that night? He had Jesus for dinner. He said, Jesus, come to my house. He repaid honor for honor. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Okay. So 
there, there's there's a picture, if you will, there. And uh, this this he he sought to do it. There was an expression of God's honored me. I'm going to honor the Lord. Has God honored you? I expect God's honored you because He saved you. How cool is that? He saw so much value in you that He died for you. I see that and I say, Lord, I'm going to live for you. Just honor for honor. Thank you, God, for the honor. I mean, He saw me and He loved me. And I want to be there. So I, he, Ezra sought to be. So he prepared his heart, he sought the Lord. And he sought the law of the Lord, and he sought to do it. And then he sought to teach the statues and the ordinances in Israel. In other words, Ezra was now in Israel. Not only is he seeking the law of the Lord and to do it, but he's seeking now to also teach others about it. Mm -hmm. And I simply would say this to all of us. We have a prime opportunity because we know people who do not know Jesus. We know people who do not know Jesus. I would simply encourage you tonight, prepare your hearts to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and now to communicate it to those who don't Good. know. Good. We just give them the gospel. And the gospel is really our story. Just who I was, Jesus came, now who I am. Does that make sense? Hey, Sam, come on in, man. Uh, so, a couple of things. You know, Israel's history, we learned some principles kind of up front. Let's be about our father's business, right? Because you saw Haggai had to come and give him the old cattle fraud to the rear end and say, get back out there and do what you're supposed to be doing. What's the mission? The mission of the church. Seeking to save the lost. What's our mission? So that we could teach the statutes and the ordinances. He said, go into all the world and... Make disciples, what? Teaching them to observe the very thing that Ezra did. Prepared his heart to seek, to observe, and to share. Okay? So that's where we are. That's our mission. The mission hasn't changed. Ezra was, a, Ezra was an appointed man by God. You are an appointed man and woman of God. You're not like a man and a woman. You're just a man and... She's a woman. Okay, she's a woman. All right, so we are. All right. Um, let's, let's pray. Is that good? Is that right? Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. It's God. It's God. It's God. Hallelujah. Lord, we love you. Hallelujah. Let's just stand right now. God, we just exalt your name. Just, will you just begin to express adoration to God. Give thanks. Thank you, God, for what you've done. 